felt led today uh, to go back to a sermon I, I have preached here before, um, but my hope is that everyone, when you leave here today, that you're encouraged, that you see Jesus Christ and the cross through a certain lens applied to your own life, and that you see not that you see as he sees, and that you see the value that he places upon you personally as a person. And so we're going to go to Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. Not too many pastors always preach out of Leviticus. Um, it's, it's one more that you break into when you're teaching because it's a lot of, a lot of rules. We're going to go to Leviticus chapter 22 and verse 17 through 24. I want to preach under this title today, Do I Belong Here? Do I Belong Here? And if you think about society, you think about the world, uh, there's a lot of times that we find ourselves in places, maybe you're like me, and I, I've wondered, do I, do I really fit in with this, this, uh, this group? Maybe you can think back to, to high school. I think most of us probably went through several transitions of uh, personality in high school. You're trying to discover who you are exactly and who you're supposed to be. And uh, I've pretty much now, I've kind of settled on who I am and what I'm supposed to be, which is uh, probably just a stick in the mud, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I've settled that. I'm all right with just being a stick in the mud and uh, being just a, just a guy who's alive. So, uh, but do I belong here? And that's really, you think about the church, we think about people that identify as being church members, being Christians, a lot of times we think, well, you know, I can never live up to that or, or I don't fit that, especially if you consider reading through Scripture and you see so many of the great uh, legends and people of faith and Christianity. You read Hebrews chapter 11 and you start thinking, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I have a place in this. And I want to talk to you specifically today about that. Do I belong here? Leviticus chapter 22 verse 17, we're going to read to verse 24 to open, and then I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit, I'm just going to briefly kind of touch on the subject of uh, the Old Testament pattern of worship. Leviticus 22, this is the Lord, He's speaking to Moses in verse 17, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and all the children of Israel, say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers in Israel who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his freewill offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your half. Say the word perfect with me. Perfect. He was saying it has to be perfect. If they're going to offer this offering, it has to be perfect. And he goes a little bit further. He says, whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be 
perfect to be accepted. Again, say that word, perfect. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind, he starts to name the things that are unacceptable. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord, either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. It has to be perfect. Our God is a perfect God, and He has a perfect plan, and He executes everything that He does perfectly. There is no error in Him. He is righteous, and He is righteous all of the time. And the word righteous just simply means he's right. Even when it seems wrong to me, he's still right. Even when it doesn't make logical sense to me, he is still right. He's right all the time. He can't be wrong. He doesn't make mistakes. He's never in error. Our God is a perfect God. And we see examples all throughout Scripture of how God is so detailed in His perfection. He doesn't leave even just minor things. You know, science is trying to figure out how the earth came to be and how do all of these little things operate down to the molecular level, even to the levels that they can't see microscopically. And I can just, in the answer, I can answer it for them. I know that won't satisfy some people's curiosity, but the simple answer is is this, our God is so detailed that even to the minute smallest thing that we are just now learning to consider, God orchestrated it all because He is a perfect God and He executes it perfectly. His judgment is perfect. His choices are perfect. Everything about Him is is perfect. We see when he told Noah to build an ark that he just didn't allow Noah any leeway to just how he wanted to build it. Uh, Noah could, uh, you know, if, if God would have left it up to him, maybe Noah would have came out with a speedboat. Who knows? But he didn't do that. He gave Noah a very detailed thing uh, to follow, a plan of how the boat was to be built, even to the point now we know exactly the dimensions that the boat has. That's how detailed God is. Over one-third of Scripture in the Old Testament in what is called uh, the, the law is dedicated to the worship of God. God said to His people, He said, if you're going to approach Me and you're going to come into My presence and I'm going to make you My people, there's a certain process and a plan that I want you to follow. Can I say that God's detail has never changed? He's not all of a sudden gotten to the New Testament and kind of fudged on some things and just said, we'll just open this thing up and just make it, you know, all just air, you know, all of these different beliefs and everything. It's just acceptable. That's not how God works. God's still a detailed God. He's a loving God, a merciful God, but He has a plan, and His detailed plan is still part of the process. And so, one third of the new uh, of, of Scripture in the Old Testament of the law was given to worship, and in it, He gave them the plan for a tabernacle. 
He didn't just allow the decorators to come in and say, you know what would look nice here and represent royalty and priestliness and and kingliness. He, He laid out everything for them. He gave them the plan that if they would follow it, he would dwell in that tabernacle and he would make that tabernacle their home. He said, you're going to have an altar and you're going to cast it in gold and bronze and you're going to burn on it. You're going to burn sacrifices upon it. You're going to have a wash basin made from the broken mirrors and in that reflection pool, you're going to wash and cleanse yourself and and then you're going to enter into the holy place, into the tabernacle and it's in there that you're going to find the table of showbread. You're going to find the, the lamps that will light the place. There will be the altar of incense but if you go a little bit further beyond that that's going to be the holy of holies that's going to be the place where my spirit dwells and it's going to be in that place that you're going to make atonement by sprinkling blood on the mercy seat and it's going to be the one thing that keeps me from judging you because sin has to be judged and that was his process and he, he was so detailed. I mean, we can, we can, and there have been traveling uh, uh, displays of what that tabernacle looks like and represents. And if it ever comes to Atlanta, you should take the time to go see it because they can build it to scale. It's amazing. We, we know exactly everything that was there in that place. He said, you're going to take and you're going to make a covering out of badger skins. Have you ever wrestled with a badger? I can imagine somebody saying, badgers? Why would we, badger skins? Why would we badger skins? Can't we get some deer skins? I mean, that's, that's some good game meat. You know, everybody can benefit from eating the deer. He said, no, you're going to do this. You're going to get badger skins. You're going to get goat hair. Lord, that is ugly. The outside of the appearance of the tabernacle was ugly. It was hideous. He said, this is, this is what you're going to do. I've chosen this. Don't deviate from the plan. He said, you're going to dye it. You're going to dye it red. But God, why, why red? I mean, forever. You know, every kingdom has chosen purple and linen and scarlet and, and beautiful things to represent. But you want goat hair and badger skins and you want it dyed it doesn't make sense he says no this is my plan don't deviate from it as a matter of fact he he was so pointed at one point he says that if you change anything you'll be cursed if you deviate you'll be cursed you'll be you'll be choosing a curse unto yourself that's what he said in exodus you see there was a perfect plan for tabernacle there was a perfect plan for worship God expected a perfect sacrifice. There was a great responsibility if you were going to be going to the house of the Lord and taking something there for worship. It's not like us here where we come together and we sing songs and I'm so thankful we come and sing songs and we worship and we feel the presence of God and it's so almost easy. Let's just say it like it really is. It is easy to move into the presence of God. Because there's nothing holding us back. It's easy. 
And we take it a little bit lightly sometimes that it's so easy to move into the presence of God. And I believe sometimes that's why we struggle whenever we find that we've hit a season where we're in a desert place spiritually and we don't feel like we're moving into the presence of God easily. It was not easy then. As a matter of fact, if you were going to go to the tabernacle of the Lord, you never went empty-handed. So we have this idea about Sunday, like, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to get something for my week. Who, who has said that? Not many people shooting up hands, but I'll admit it, I've said that. I've walked out of services and thought, Man, I didn't really get fed by that. But what a me way of thinking. Because if you were going to go to the tabernacle in the Old Testament, you had to take an offering with you. It was a sacrifice. It was about going to seek God, not about God seeing you and visiting you and your problem and your issue and your thing. It was about going to see God. And so there was this great responsibility on the giver's part. If he was going to make a sacrifice, he had two options. If he were a shepherd, he could go to his cattle, to his goats, to his sheep, and he would pick out an animal. So there was a time every year where he would look and survey the flock and he would begin to, to pick out an animal and he would try and find one that would meet up to the, to the very strenuous expectations that God had. It had to be perfect. There could be no blemish in it. It couldn't have a, a bruise. So even, even if one was perfect up until the last moment and it got a bruise, well, it was disqualified. And so there was a lot of responsibility and weight on the man or the woman who was going to give that offering. And so what a shepherd would do is he would work his way through the flock and he would find one that stood out and he would take that lamb, we'll just say it as a lamb, he'll take that lamb and he would take it into a special pen that was close to his home and a lot of them were on the bottom floor of their home and they would put them in there. And they would watch this lamb. They would separate it from everything else. They would try, and, try to eliminate any, any uh, you know, chances that this lamb or this goat or this sheep or this cow would be injured. So, you know, the kids who before were playing in, in, that, in that pen, they'd play, throw the ball back and forth. And Hey, what are you kids doing? Get away from here. Get that ball out of here. And, and that lamb had to be perfect. And so for a season, he would climb over into that pen and he would take his hands and he would put it into the wool of that animal. And he would feel around. And he was feeling for anything that may have escaped his eye. He was feeling for a scab. He was feeling for a wound that went unnoticed. He was feeling for uh, that, that eczema that was described. He was feeling for a possible broken bone. So he would feel along the legs and, and run his hands down the legs of that animal and feel, trying to feel if there was a broken bone there. He would open up the ears and pull back the ears and look and see if there was maybe disease there or open the mouth of that animal and look, make sure there were no teeth missing. There was nothing there that shouldn't be there or that was missing that should be there because it's not only the things that you do see, but what about the things that you don't see? Because there are wounds that you don't see. 
There are things that happen that you don't see. I mean, what if, what if when, when no other sheep were paying attention in the flock, all of a sudden that lamb came predator under some pre, pre, became prey to some predator and was abused and no one saw it, no one recognized it, but there was a wound there that is forever being unhealed. Well, there's a blemish. There's a scar. There's an unseen thing that that shepherd's trying to find. So he would check this animal over and over. Because it wasn't just the things you could easily see. Because I'm sure he stood in the flock at some point and he looked out and he'd say, "This, this one right here looks like a candidate, but when he got it to the pen... And he started to feel around. There were some unseen things. What if, what if that particular lamb ha- had gotten pregnant outside of wedlock? Well, we know that that's against the law of God and to reconcile it. The lamb chose the easy, the hard thing. It seemed easy at the time. It's the unseen things. Those are where the scars and the blemishes and the wounds. It's, it's not on the surface. It's not easily seen. It's not easily found. It's, it's the things that are deep, that are penetrated, that are hidden away from society. The world does not see. And that shepherd, it was on him for a perfect God who had perfect expectations that ex- in, that expected perfect worship, it was on that shepherd to produce a perfect lamb so that he would be accepted. So after checking that lamb and there were no scars, there were no scabs, there was no disease. There were no broken bones. <clears throat> there was nothing. No bruises, no crushed, nothing torn, nothing cut. The limbs were all the right length. He would take that lamb and he would go to a priest. And this perfect lamb No bruises, no scars, no blemishes, no disease, no sickness. This perfect lamb that is the prize of every flock, that perfect lamb for its perfection, it died. For that perfection, it died. My question to you today, is we know what happens with the perfect lamb, but what about all of those other sheep that were overlooked, that they were scarred, they were scabbed, they were blemished, they had diseases, they had sicknesses, they had problems. What happened to those sheep? I'll tell you what happened. They got to live. The 
perfect lamb died so that all of the imperfect could live. The perfect died so that the ones that were bruised and scarred and scabbed and wounded and diseased and maybe had one limb shorter than another so they walked a little bit funny and they didn't look right and maybe there were some things even that were hidden that the shepherd only found when he was on his search. The perfect one died so that the imperfect, the blemished, could live. We have a perfect God and He has a perfect plan. But in His perfection, He saw our imperfection. He saw your blemishes and He saw your scars and He saw your disease and He saw your hidden sin and He saw all of those things and He looked and He said, no, they're not perfect, but what I see is I see something worth sacrifice, something so that a perfect lamb can die so that the imperfect have a place to live. And so His offer is that the perfect lamb dies so that the imperfect, you and I, that we get to live in eternal life. Not just the joy of this life, but eternal life. And so what I want to say to you today is that yes, you belong. When the accuser of the brethren comes and he says, You know what you did way back then. You know what's going through your mind. You know what's in your heart. You know what you've hid away. You know the thing that everyone else does not know. And you have it deep inside of you. That failure that you carry with you. That wound from being hurt. That scar from having to go through something in life. All of those things. And he tries to point those out. It's yes, I do have that. But it's because of this sin. It's because of this imperfection. It's because of the thing that is a liability in my life that I get to live because a perfect lamb died for me. There is room in God's flock for you. Regardless of your life. Regardless of what has happened to you. Regardless of what sin you've fallen prey to, there is room in God's flock for you. Abraham, Abraham, father of the faithful, man of many nations. Oh, he was a liar. He was a doubter. He didn't believe God. God had to remind him over and over and over, Abraham, I've got a promise for you. I can totally relate to Abraham because there have been times where I said, God, I'm not seeing this come to pass, and God has to remind me. I've got a promise. I've got something for you. It's going to happen. Abraham, a liar, he didn't just lie once and God say, oh, don't do that again. No, he lied twice, concealed that his relationship with his wife was marriage. said, no, she's just my sister. He lied twice. A liar 
and a doubter. You don't want a liar and a doubter. I mean, come on, you're a perfect God. You don't want a liar and doubter in your flock. Get, get him out of here. Get rid of him. Uh, you know, lies. I mean, people who lie, they just can't stop lying. They keep on lying. And lies spread because people take that lie and they, they take it and they tell it again and it just keeps going and going. You can't ha- have that in your flock. He says, no, Abraham. Abraham's going to be the father of the faithful. Abraham is going to produce out of him a nation that all of the nations shall be blessed. No, I'm going to use Abraham. He's got a spot in my flock. Think about David. David, a young shepherd boy, and comes up on the backside of a hill tending a flock, rises to be king. A miraculous journey, a God journey. Kills a giant, slays a giant. Then in his kingship, he's sitting there and he's not the place he should be. He's not at war. And he's lusting after a woman who is a neighboring, who is a neighbor. And he commits adultery. And then to cover his own sin, he brings the husband back of the woman he had adultery with so that he can cover it all up and that doesn't work and so he sends him right to the heat of the battle to the front line well well David he's complicit in the murder of this man he's a murderer he's an adulterer he tried to hide his sin he tried to do what so many of us try and do we try and cover it up you think no you don't want that can you can you trust David, can you trust someone who hides their sin? Can you trust someone who is so devious that they plan the murder of a man just to hide what they have done? You can't trust that. You can't trust an adulterer. No one should let David around their spouse. But the Lord says, no, no. David's going to be a man after my own heart. It's through David I'm going to bless Israel. It's it's through David. David's going to write songs that even right now people take and sing on the other side of Calvary. Several thousands and thousands of years later, we still sing them and we still read them and we still rejoice in the psalms that David wrote. No, David, you have a place in my kingdom. You have a spot in my flock. Think about Peter. Peter turned his back in the most crucial time of Jesus Christ's life. Walked away and left him on that cross. And as the the heat of the moment still rages, a young girl accuses him of being one of his followers. No, no, I didn't even know him. I didn't know him. He, he even went a step further. He cursed to prove that he was not one of his own, that he, he wasn't talking like them, he wasn't acting like them. And the whole time she's pointing her finger saying, your speech and the way that you're dressed, the way you're acting, it betrays you. And so he says, no, no. And he curses. Peter ran out on the Lord. In his most crucial time fled him. The message the angel has in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is you go get Peter. 
You tell Peter to meet, meet the Lord. The Lord's going to meet him. You be sure Peter knows where he needs to be. Because Peter, even though you turned your back on me, even though you cursed and fled the scene, even though you ran out and there was no hope, Peter, I still have room for you in my flock. You see, the blemished sheep belong in the master's flock. The thing that you hate about yourself the thing that you think is such a liability, the sin that you fought and the sin that you struggled and maybe even lost against at times. God is not looking at you and saying, look at all of the imperfections, look at the failures. What am I going to do with this person? I need to get them out of my flock before they taint the whole field. No, that's the accuser's approach. The Lord looks and says, I know they're imperfect. I know they're blemished. I know they're scarred. I know they've got sin. That's why I'm providing a perfect lamb. And he was perfect. There was no sin found in him. There was nothing in Jesus Christ. He didn't fall to temptation, to greater temptations than you and I ever faced. That he would have the whole world surrendered to him. That everyone would worship him. That he would have all of the things. He didn't surrender to any of those temptations. He was perfect. He was resolute. No sin, no guile, nothing was found in him. And he willingly chose to go to a cross and suffer. I feel the presence of the Lord here right now. To suffer a brutal, agonizing, horrible death. The only death throughout time that would equate to what it is to be a real sacrifice. He chose that. And he chose it knowing that in its place, in his place, being the gate to the master's field, that he was opening a gateway for you and I, blemished, scarred, scattered diseased bruised broken maimed having all kind of imperfections and he said if they'll just come my flock is big enough the spirit of the Lord here right now I have more I want to say but I just feel like we should pause for just a moment let the spirit of God minister in this place 
God, you see every one of us and our shortcomings and our failures. You see the things that no one else knows. God, we stand before you completely and totally stripped of any facade. And still you look at us and you say, I love them. I've sacrificed for them. I've chosen them. They are mine. And so, Lord, I pray against every spirit of doubt that comes and tries to come against us. Lord, I pray that we would see how you see us, the value you place on our lives, the value you've placed on our soul, that the perfect one is sacrificed so that all of the imperfect can live The altar is open for just a moment. I'm going to let my wife begin to sing. I feel like it's appropriate that we just respond to the presence of the Lord that's here. Maybe you want to come and you want to pray. You want to lay open that thing that you've been burying and carrying with you. Or maybe you just want to come and you just want to praise and worship God for loving you enough that He sees all of those things and He still chooses you. I'm not not done preaching, but the Spirit of the Lord is here so strong right now. I just can't go on. I can't let it go. We need to respond to the Spirit. Please. 